You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BNH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan White. Greetings and welcome to the BNH Photography Podcast. While preparing for today's show, I realize that today's guest, Los Angeles photographer and director Art Stryber, has photographed pretty much everybody I've ever seen on TV and in the movies. Art watches the Oscars just like you and I do, except he gets to zip back and forth between the red carpet and everything going on behind the scenes with a camera in his hand and nobody questions him and he's paid handsomely to be there. We're not. His clients include the alphabet soup of TV broadcast stations and cable channels and just about every movie studio. Remember the time you donned your favorite Oakleys, slipped behind the wheel of your Cadillac, hit your local Chase Bank for pocket change and drove on down to Disneyland? Well, Art shot ads for each each and every one of those companies. And if you like kicking back with a bucket of KFC and a Heineken or maybe a Miller Lite, he shot ads for those guys too. And as you might have guessed, he's also won a ton of awards and accolades along the way. Welcome, Art, to our humble podcast studio. <laughs> Thank you for having well, me. I also want to throw in the, the Vanity Fair series and, and all the covers of Vanity Fair. Oh, and all these beautiful yeah. conceptual photos. And just one we'll cover, about. let's be clear. Oh, just one cover. All yes. Right. And uh, historically, I don't know how many people know this, the worst-selling Vanity Fair cover of all time. Wow. Justin Bieber. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> to all the Bieber fans that listen to the podcast, apologies. Okay, we're not going to blame you for that. But <laughs> I hope you use it as a promo piece. I do. Feather in my cap. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, have you done any of those? Uh, you must have done the, the pages that fold out because of some of the large groups and ensembles. I have, yes. Yeah, those are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. Uh, a lot of moving parts. I imagine. I Absolutely. Imagine. All right. Well, let can we start with yeah. some of the Vanity Fair and... and how fully baked are the concepts and the ideas when they come to you, let's say, for a Vanity Fair fold-out piece of celebrities? The beauty of working for a place like Vanity Fair is that they really treat their photographers and their writers with a lot of respect and give us pretty much free reign. Um, there are a lot of other um, editorial outlets and advertising outlets, certainly entertainment outlets, for which you're shooting a prescribed uh, idea or uh, shooting to a comp. Vanity Fair, honestly, one of the last places where they say, here's the assignment, knock yourself out. And that is both incredibly refreshing mm -hmm. and uh, empowering and intimidating Daunting, because yeah. the, the sky is the limit. The truth is, the sky is not the limit. The budget is the limit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> and... How do you decide first where some of that money is going to go to the collaborators you're going to be working with, uh, to the location? I'm sure it's concept to concept, but... Uh, that is a, a really good question. I have this incredible uh, FileMaker database, and one of the tabs is budget, and we go in immediately and put the basics together, crew, digital package, gear, and then we kind of work backwards from, you know, how much is left. Uh, to execute the concepts that we want to execute. I'm very interested in knowing right off the bat, what's the story? Why are we photographing this guy uh, or this woman or this group? Um, because I am a big believer that, especially now in an age in which we are inundated with imagery, that the image bears the burden of grabbing the reader and pulling them into the story. Um, 
when I used to lecture at um, uh, the Stanford Publishing course and I was talking to magazine editors, I would tell them that there are only three reasons that somebody's going to stop in the drugstore, supermarket, airport, newsstand, and grab a magazine. Um, either they're intensely interested in the cover story, cover subject, mm-hmm. or the word sex is on the cover. <laughs> or, <laughs> both. Yeah. or the image is so compelling mm-hmm. that you have to stop mm-hmm. and and pick up yeah. the magazine. Yeah. So I approach the shoot um, by first trying to figure out what is the story that needs to be told here? What is the secondary or tertiary meaning that this picture can have in order to draw people into the, the subject? And if I hadn't taken this picture and I was thumbing through the magazine, and I stopped and was momentarily jealous that I hadn't taken the photo, what would that picture be? Mm-hmm. With that in mind, uh, and, and the idea of, of telling the story, and I guess in this case you're referring somewhat when the photo is accompanying a story, or that goes for when if the photo is just going to stand alone? The, 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 yeah, either yeah, way. Yeah. The reason that somebody is in a magazine mm-hmm. is that they are a newsmaker, a tastemaker, they've got a project, book, movie, television show, mm-hmm. um, restaurant. They're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Magazines are curating what's hot and what's, now. what's, hot and what's now. Right. So the, the pressure is really on hmm. because undoubtedly the person you're photographing is also being photographed by a bunch, a bunch of other people right. for a bunch of other right. magazines. Right. So, well, that said... When you come up with an idea or you're, uh, I want to hear more about this, for example, the, the taking Woodstock, uh, cast and you say, I want to do this like the grapes of wrath and recreate stills from a famous movie from the thirties. Um, how do you tie that in at least in the pitch, uh, to the story that you're trying to tell if it's a, just a cast of a movie? That is an excellent question. And nobody has ever referred in an interview to that image. Um, there is artistic license. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely artistic license. And especially with the cast of a movie, um, there's a little bit of artistic license. And there was more artistic license, certainly five years ago than there is today because everybody today wants to be on brand, on message, mm-hmm. make sure that we don't stray too far from... Um, and does that, that trickle down to the actors and themselves, you think? Or is it we're talking mostly publicists and... A little bit. The actors yeah. will, you know, look at you, you know, w- with a little bit of a, um, you know, the Labrador yeah. cogged head <laughs> and say, wait, why are we doing this? Right. <laughs> okay, here's the idea. The interpretation is X. I really want to communicate Y. Mm-hmm. And in the case of this, can you just fill us in a bit um, on what the thought was? And, and I honestly don't remember where that idea came from, um, whether or not it came from the magazine or it came from me or whether it was a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. But the idea was, that the analogy was that the movie was about hardship mm-hmm. and the movie was about struggle and the movie was about a journey. Mm-hmm. And for example, in the next issue of GQ, which isn't out yet, um, GQ came to me and said, we want to photograph this person and they are an artist mm-hmm. and they are, you know, an artist who might be in his or her head too much. 
you know, kind of, if I may, the crazed artist. This is how they brought this to you and yes. kind of gave you this And they gave insight. me the backstory yeah, of this yeah, person's, yeah. Uh -huh. you know, story okay. and arc. And I said, you know, Vincent Van Gogh cutting off his ear. Mm -hmm. And we dove into that as a starting point, which I loved because I've never seen it done really. Mm -hmm. um, except I just did come across a uh, Joni Mitchell album cover from the mm -hmm. 70s in which <laughs> she painted herself. And yeah. I went, there you go. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, so I'm always looking for that subtlety, yeah. that secondary read, that tertiary read mm -hmm. where the viewer gets, uh, there's a little bit of what Oprah called the aha moment. Mm -hmm. You've been working, obviously, for, for quite a while, and we're talking predominantly magazines. Yes, that's sir. The, that's the vehicle for the most part. Now, a lot of the pictures you work on, especially some of the more complex pictures where you could have many people in it, some pretty intricate sets where you really yes. have to study it. Now, when you're looking at a magazine cover or a full page or a spread, okay, a gatefold, you, ha you, you really could sit there and absorb all this information. A lot of the pictures that we take these days, though, could be initially uh, meant for this large format, but they're also meant to be viewed on a phone. Do you approach any of your pictures differently knowing that it might be even mostly for, uh, uh, viewed from a small screen? Do you approach it differently at all for that reason? Um, really good question, and no. I have never said, you guys, this is only going to be seen on a device. I imagine, I hope that the imagery will have a larger life somewhere else. My old hesitation about imagery that only appeared online was, okay, the file size doesn't have to be that big. But it was never about, if I may, dumbing down the image. Um, or simplifying the, 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 no, the, I've the never, elements of that. Because, again, that's a good question. I've never considered the kind of mobile end use. Um, to me, the picture either needs to be simple or complex as a picture. Um, yes, it's a bummer that <laughs> we are looking at our at imagery on a kind of a two and a half by two and a half. Um, but no, I never really have... Because the reason I'm thinking about it, a friend of mine was doing, uh, years ago, did album covers. And when yes. CDs came out, he, he we were having a conversation. He said he had to rethink the way he was doing things now because suddenly it went from 12 by 12 down to five by five or something like that. He goes... It's a smaller image. I can't cram details in there. I have to simplify it, strip it away without losing its value and, and, and its message. I get that. I would call that the Sergeant Pepper's analogy. Um, <laughs> hey. You're welcome. And <laughs> it is Analogy Friday. I don't know if you're aware. That is a really, really good point. But I think you could make the case that, for the most part, album covers disappeared. And there was no choice. Now, my imagery is expected to live on one, two, three, four, five platforms. Yeah. So here's the consideration. The consideration is never, um, we need to simplify it. The consideration is, um, what shape does this thing have to be? Mm -hmm. I was working for an entertainment client and they said, okay, here are all of the different shapes that this ad might have to run. By the in. way, he's really drawing this out on the page. He's talking. <laughs> um, I looked at them and I said, you know, a number of these shapes are not even found in nature. Ah. Um, and like, how can you tell 
you know, this story and this story the same way. And the answer, unfortunately, was I had to shoot it very, very, very loose and let them let them piece it and let them crop. Mm-hmm. Right. Um go against every instinct you have. Because composition. Yeah. Because there are web banners that are vertical and web banners that are horizontal and web banners that are extremely horizontal and web banners that are extremely vertical and and that's your problem now. That is now my problem. That's your problem. Yeah. Drive you crazy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, uh, your, your point is is interesting in the sense of that uh, the 100th anniversary of, of Paramount, which mm-hmm. I, I looked at several times yesterday and on a phone and on my computer. And, you know, you Google search and things come up and, and some images expand, some don't. I tried to figure out, you know, who was in the photo. And I had a hard time for this very reason, mm-hmm. you know, because you're... Very looking, good point. I recognize yeah. Scorsese. He's pretty very easy good to point. see in the middle and a few other people. But as I kind of, you know, wanted to... To see who's who. You know, no, good for you. And that was math that I hadn't done. And honestly, that picture was composed as kind of three pyramids. And in the original, on set, live in the camera, um, my set designer had built out of foam and we had lit the Paramount logo. And... That required me to back way up. It's one frame, right? No, I shot it in three pieces. Mm. But when it came down to getting that picture into the magazine, um, the powers that be said, you can't see who's in this picture. And I went, oh boy. True. This picture that I just shot was meant to be yeah. six feet by four feet. Mm-hmm. And so... The end result in Vanity Fair was the logo is gone. An incision was made here and an incision was made here between the pyramids and the pyramids were much like the original National Geographic Uh cover. (laughs) The one where they faked it? You mean when they moved the pyramids? Analogy Friday. (laughs) (laughs) In order to see those 116 people. And when it came out, and I was heartbroken, I went back and I started to do the math. And the math was eight and a half by 11 is 17 by 11, number of square inches. How do you divide 116? Like how big could those people have actually been? Right. right. You know, because you're asking the mm-hmm. page mm-hmm. to do a lot of work. And do you harken or look back and research, because th- this is there's a tradition of this type yes. of photo in, in the studio system of going back I and getting did. all the hearts. You did. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, well, any input on that in terms of how they shot it then and, and, and how you shot it or today or, or not today, but, you know, recently? Back in the day, I mean, there's some very famous studio pictures mm-hmm. in which everybody's lined up. You know, like you're photographing, you know, um, a platoon mm-hmm. or a football team. Right. Um, or they're all seated beautifully. A famous CBS photo of everybody seated, Lassie's seated. <laughs> I have that hanging in my bathroom. No joke. Oh, it's from the 25th anniversary of CBS. <laughs> I have an 8 by 10 They called everybody in in black tie, and Lassie is in the middle. Okay. Name five other people in that photo. Uh, um, it's in his bathroom. Oh, he sees God. A lot. Okay. <laughs> he sits and looks yeah. at it No, no, no. This, no, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. This is oriented for standing. Okay. Oh, Hitchcock is in it. Yes. Uh, Lucille Ball. Correct. Uh, 
uh, uh, Hawaii Five O, whoever that was is. And the Three? best thing is James Arness is in it, and his Four. brother, who's his brother, James Arness, Peter Graves, who is so tall, they stuck him off on a separate step off to the side so he'd be even with the top row. That is correct. I have an eight by ten of that hanging in my bathroom. <laughs> I believe you. You heard it here, <laughs> folks. Yeah. <laughs> so to answer your question, it has been yeah. done. Yeah. And yeah. the default, and it makes sense, line them up. Mm. And that was shot at, at, on the Paramount lot, just, uh, or no, one of their old studios? Yes, it was. It was shot okay. on their biggest soundstage. Right. Um, and uh, Paramount hired me to do it, mm -hmm. which means that we had a ton of support from the studio. We had set building support, we had lighting support, we had grip and electrical support, we had incredible, must, must have, incredible support yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because they were, you know, they were taking it very, very seriously. Um, so uh, for those of you at home, uh, if you would um, just turn on your monitors, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's the left, <laughs> um, there's the middle. <laughs> And there's the right. And here is the finished five panel. One, two, three, four, five panel, which I did because I really wanted to give a sense of the context and the, the scale. Um, and this is part of my presentation that I do when I uh, lecture and talk about behind the scenes photos. So watch very carefully as we go from there. So there's the crop, there's the three panel. So incision, incision, Wow. and the people get bigger. Yeah. And I get it, I get it, yeah. I absolutely get it. Right. Um, and and I, I think these two versions serve two purposes. Did they put this version somewhere else, at least for you it's can see It's at Paramount it? somewhere. Yeah, okay, but not in the magazine, yeah. No, no. the okay. magazine had to do this. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Does your mind still think uh, magazines? I mean, you do posters, you do you know, yes. everything, but I mean, you think magazines. Editorial format. is my first love. Mm -hmm. The reason that it's my first love is that um, my uh, great-grandfather started the first magazine wholesale distribution company in Los Angeles. So you're You've many been here generations for a while. The Sunset News Company. Okay. My great-grandfather started it. My grandfather worked there. And for a little bit, brief moment, my uncle and my father worked there. So when I was seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 on Saturdays, my dad had to go to work for some reason. And I went to the Sunset News Company. The wholesale distributor gets all the magazines from the publishers, puts them on their trucks and drives them out to drugstores, supermarkets, newsstands. So in the warehouse was this glossy, array, pile of everything. Mad Magazine, Life Magazine, Richie Rich, Time, Richie Newsweek, Rich. Playboy, Penthouse. And I just scooped <laughs> this stuff up yeah. Yeah. and took it home. Yeah. And that was- For the articles, of course. Obviously. Yes. Um, and the photography. Yeah. Um, and that was this first kind of visceral impression of mm. magazine work, uh, of, of magazine photography. Um, and the truth is, in the 70s, yes, there were movie posters, and yes, there was advertising, but this was 
this constant weekly, monthly mm -hmm. um, stream of amazing, iconic now, mid to late 20th century imagery. Right. And my grandfather uh, was an avid amateur photographer. So there was some kind of connection in my brain between, wait a second, I can do this and it can become that. this thing. And I became a news junkie and a media junkie and um, kind of a, a s amateur sociologist trend follower, you know, kind of excited about. And you were in basically ground zero of where all that stuff emanates from newest latest greatest it didn't hurt and then when you were 18 or whenever you're ready to decide where you're going to go with your career where did you take your first steps um great story I, I was going to my grandfather's alma mater and he sat me down and he said photography is an avocation it mm -hmm. is not a vocation and i said oh and he said it is a hobby not a job because that's what it was for him yeah Yes, sir. Absolutely, sir. No question. I got to Stanford. I walked into the Stanford Daily and I said, sign me up yeah. because I had been the photography editor of the newspaper and the yearbook um, and started shooting for the newspaper at Stanford. And um, my grandfather passed away in the middle of my sophomore year, never got to see what I ended up doing for a living. Yeah. But you know, it was a mid to late 20th century patriarchy. And yeah. who knows if I would have been discouraged from. And your father, did he, um, he, what did he say? He had an icon F. Mm -hmm. My parents were always very supportive. Mm -hmm. um, but I believe, you know, like most parents, we're also concerned, you know, can you make a living doing this? Mm -hmm. But never, my parents never said no. Right. Um, I had three major no's in my life. Um, uh, all kind of, you know, titans to me. Grand, my grandfather was number one. Mm -hmm. Summer of 1983, um, internship at Life Magazine. Never been to New York City. John Lowengard, director of photography. End of the internship says, don't be a photographer. Oh, there's, there's too many photographers. Ouch. In 1983, there are too many photographers? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is kind of quaint to think back of that. That was my, I, I, yeah. And I don't mean to dig deep, but was he just saying because there's so many photographers or he had, he had, was speaking specifically yeah, was to he, you? Was he basically saying that you, you know, your work was terrible? No. <laughs> you know, in hindsight, who knows? Right. Yeah. Who knows? Well, you didn't listen to him. Good. Um, so, the, so, so, so you didn't listen to your grandfather. You didn't listen to him. You're a problem child, aren't you? <laughs> um, I don't know whether or not I didn't believe them or I've never been on the couch. Did I want to prove them wrong? Did I want to do it in spite Sometimes of them? Sometimes that's what you need to get where you're going. Somebody Absolutely. say you can't get there. That's for me, quite often, that's okay. Here we go. <laughs> and number three, moved back to Los Angeles in 1993 after doing four years in Milan as the co-bureau chief with my wife of the Fairchild Publications Bureau in Milan, which was Women's Wear Daily, W, Footwear News, yeah. DNR, oh, wow. um, M Magazine, uh, and showed my book all over New York and LA. And um, uh, an agent in Los Angeles looked at my portfolios and said, have you ever considered um, a career in cruise ship photography? And honestly, I hadn't. Um, and I said, no, I, I have not. Um, so 
again, kind of a motivation to mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah. And, and there's some very good lessons here. Keep going. Please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Well, yeah. similar true. story yesterday with Greg, uh, when, you know, who was it? Um, I'm driving back, but he said, you know, basically this is not for you. Uh, yeah. go away. And, uh, and he did, he refused to, you know, which, uh, you know, I guess that's the nature of success, right? So, I mean, Apart from probably pushing me, mm. I have flipped that equation. I am, and I do not mean to do my own horn here, I mentor a lot of people mm-hmm. and I encourage a lot of people and I open doors for a lot of young photographers. And who then the flip side, who opened doors for you? Who was the first one to say, hey, this is great, or here's your here's an assignment, go shoot them? Is there any yeah, Who any gave names you your first street? Who, wh- who did you seek yeah, out? Who's the first person that? to give you a job right off the street? You walk in, you also show some stuff, and you walked out with a job wow. to do. I remember wow. mine. I know that. Well, the Fairchild Publications job was two years in LA. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was hired because the first guy they asked wanted too much money. Mm-hmm. And I was massively unqualified um, for the job. This was portraiture, fashion work, a combination of everything. Good for you. Um, Women's Wear Daily, WMDNR in 1990, sorry, 1987, 88, 89, which meant portraits, fashion, events, still life, travel, reportage, food, interiors, I became a jack of all trades. And you know what's really interesting about that comment? Today, that would be poison. It would be toxic to walk in with all of those abilities because people say, if you can do all that, you can't do a damn thing well. You could do a lot of stuff okay. That's what I believed about myself. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. I really still internalize this jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Um, and I still enjoy all of those different kinds of photography. And, and you're still doing it. I mean, your work shows that. I, I, mean, uh, I know that my interior work has informed my portraiture. I know that my event work um, has informed my you portraiture. You were able to connect the dots and make it all work. And I'm, still trying it to, I'm still trying to connect the dots. Simultaneously, my uncle, the one that worked at the Sunset News Company briefly, became the uh, vice president for major gifts in the athletic department at Stanford University, which has nothing to do with this career trajectory, except that he told me years ago, whenever I answer the phone, I say, the answer is yes, now what's the question? (laughs) Because he was getting calls from major donors saying, hey, I really want some of the sidelines, you know, seats. And I said, oh my God, that's... Brilliant. So back to the Paramount photo. Art, we want you to photograph 116 people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hang up the phone. Right. Oh my God. How yeah. do you do that? Yeah. Um, Sounds like Stephen Wilkes when we had him. The same went with the yes. uh, same thing. Okay, we'll do it. And then we'll figure it out later. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, um, so then the next analogy after that is, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> One, One bite, bite at, at a time. time. <laughs> so break it down. You know, how are we going to approach this? So who was the first person you called? Who's your, who's the, the crucial member of the team that, uh, in, in a shot like this, let's say, or a, a big shot, let's well, say. Well, now it's my longtime 
first ex- first assistant executive producer, Elaine Brown. Mm-hmm. She and I have been working together 15 years. And now we sit down and we say, how are we going to do this? And we break it down into its component pieces. But when I was at Stanford, I was a newspaper photographer. Sports, portraits, news events, Mm -hmm. um, meetings, lectures. And I noticed that the photos in um, Sports Illustrated of basketball games were lit. Wait, there's like a strobe going off in the Mm -hmm. corner. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to do that. How do you do that? I called Sports Illustrated and I said, who lights your arenas? This is 1983. There's no internet. Mm -hmm. There's no master class online. And they said, "Um, there's a photographer on our roster named Andy Haight and his brother John is based in San Diego and he goes around the country and lights all the arenas. And I said, what's his number? They gave me his number. I don't know why I made the typing thing. Um, sorry. Um, rotary phone, push button phone. And I called John Haight. Mm-hmm. Hi, photography editor, Stanford Daily. How do you light the arena? Um, speed of Tron in every corner. Yeah. Thank you so much. What's a speed of Tron? <laughs> exactly. What the hell is a speed of Tron? So I've always been... Um, kind of resourceful that way or and inquisitive and want answers and have always kind of pursued you know the the best possible uh resource for you know getting an answer well, that's a huge lesson for anybody i mean you need to be i mean you talked earlier about problem solving and i want to get to that that idea later but there's also this ability to you, you know you know you need to i don't know humble yourself is the right word but understand that you need to ask up you need to ask yes. who's who knows, you know, and that's one, a hugely important skill. And I, I think that really taught me that my job is really about collaboration. It's really about a team and moving a team and motivating a team. And the, for Analogy Friday, the only best analogy I've been able to come up with is it's kind of like a football team. And I'm the quarterback play caller. I might get a play called in from my client on the sidelines, but then I've got to explain it to my team. And if the front line doesn't block and the wide receivers don't run their routes and the running backs can't get through the line, we're not going to move the ball upfield. What percentage of your team, uh, and I, I, I would imagine that it varies because people are available, not available. That is exactly but, but, right. But what percentage of your average team is like a core group that you're always working with? I used to work almost exclusively with one producer um, because I didn't know any of the other ones and they hadn't really opened up their shops yet. I used to almost exclusively work with one set designer. Now I've got, my bench is probably three or four deep on set designers six or seven deep on producers. Um, and do you, go, do you choose them, well, aside from the fact on availability, but I imagine each of these people have their own specialties and strengths that you might want to tap into for, for the most part, projects? For the most part, except that at the level at which I'm pulling talent, yeah. they're, they've been... They're all good. They're all good, and they've been around many of the same blocks I've been around. Okay. So um, I'm rarely saying to Elaine, oh, we just don't have a strong crew here, you know, because she goes out of her way to 
grab the best people. And yes, now it's about availability. Okay. All right. And is that the same for light? I guess I, I want to get this kind of idea toward lighting. I mean, our um, assistant pool is kind of broken down into three tiers. And there are the guys and women who we've worked with for years who are real firsts, who are going to bring ideas and problem solving to the table. Then there are the seconds who are going to really, really, you know, be executing uh, the lighting mm -hmm. and might have a tweak. Then there are the thirds and fourths who are on their way up mm -hmm. and are making an effort to learn. Mm -hmm. So we always try and pick, right. you know, from from that pool. Okay. So you don't have like, as many DPs do that that one gaffer that's that's yours or that one. Not really, because yeah. these guys are busy. They're busy, yeah. Sure, yeah, sure. based on availability. Mm -hmm. And we are very, 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 Elaine is very, very, very generous with the guys calling up and saying, I got a two-day, I got a three-day, I got a five-day gig. I got a bail. And we we say, we understand. While we're on lights, can we talk a little bit about the lights you're using? And, Absolutely. And, and uh, your feelings about LED and where you're going and what you use? I mean, I can based on size. Still using flash right now. For most of you, work, yeah, right? all strobe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We're just starting to fall in love with LEDs, um, falling back in love with available light. Mm -hmm. Ah, um, okay. But it is almost always pro photo, and it is the professional workhorse for us. Does everything we need to do. We can find it in almost every major American city. That's it. Yeah, any rental house will have pro photo. That's exactly that and Dynalite, but yep. pro photo you got. And I grew up on Dynas. Yeah. Um, and Dinah still perform a few, you know, tricks for us, you know, a couple times a year. But it's, by and large, it's pro photo. There's one, I was looking through a lot of you, you had a lot of production images that we were able to find. And there was one umbrella you had. I don't know if it was an Okta uh, umbrella, but, but it, it was real large, but very shallow. Which one would that be? Um, I mean, it only looked to be like maybe a foot and a half, two feet deep, but it looked to be at, at least six, seven, eight feet across. It was huge. Our umbrellas are... Fotex, they are Westcott's. Okay, all right. Yeah, they're, that's, yeah. And that brings up a really good point. I have a new intern, and she is very methodical and is asking me, why are you using that um, and not that? And when do you use that? And I pointed to my kind of 10 bags of, uh, modifiers. And I said, these are tools. These are brushes. just brushes. Yeah. And it's the right brush for the job. Mm -hmm. And it might be, well, that thing is, it doesn't fit. We got to find something else. Or we forgot to order a beauty dish. You know, what are we going to do? <laughs> so it's really important, I think, not to get married, you know, to an umbrella a softbox. They are they are tools. You just have to know which wrench to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a mechanic. If he only has a flathead screwdriver to Phillips, is a limit to what he can do <laughs> or she can do. Um, do you maintain your own studio? Do you rent space? Because it used to be everybody had their own. Now it's less common to have a photographer with a dedicate their own personal space. I do not have a studio. I have a rental house uh -huh. in which there are one, two, three, four, five. Six desks and okay. uh, a garage full of gear and 
And and how much, what percentage of your workload would be location? As opposed to studio? As opposed to studio, yeah. yeah. That is one analytic I haven't done, but... 50-50 roughly? My gut says 50-50. Okay. Um, my gut probably says 60-40, um, 60 location, 40 what's studio. Your, what's your preference? <sighs> I know the challenge would have to be location. Because I love the so challenge of the location. Okay. I've really had to embrace the blank canvas. Really had to come to terms with three or four white walls, mm. and what do you do? Mm -hmm. Really still um, learning to love that because the location to me was like, all right, we got to make this work. Mm -hmm. How are we going to make this work? Here we are. Problem yeah, solving. and I love, <laughs> yeah. I love that about the location. Yeah. We're going to take a short break. When we come back with Art Stryber, we're going to be talking about production issues and some specific photographs. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. We are back. Let's talk about some of the photographs in particular. And uh, there's, there's uh, we, we pulled out a few of them. First one we'd love to talk about, uh, with the chimpanzees, mm -hmm. okay? Tell us about it's that, Sean. Blaine Lord, who's uh, an investment and an author on finances too, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's how I heard it, yeah, yeah. In discussions with the magazine, you know, um, somebody threw out the phrase, um, you know, a, a lot of investment strategies, you know, is it, you know, is anal are analogous to a chimpanzee, you know, throwing um, a dart. Right. And we went, okay, let's hire chimpanzees. And it was like that. It was kind of a little yeah. epiphany. Oh my God, that's amazing. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. So. Okay, what's the shot? Okay, Blaine is sitting at his desk and he's trying, you know, to get through his workday and it's, his office is overrun. Mm -hmm. um, Was it monkeys or a monkey? Six. I think there were two okay. that became six. All right. And that's one of the earlier shots where we went, okay, we're locking down the camera and we're having the monkey do this. Monkey do this, monkey do this, monkey do this, monkey do this, um, because there are only so many monkeys that in LA that are available. Um, Got to keep costs down. Mm -hmm. You can't hire seven, and I don't know what would happen if six or seven okay. chimpanzees so, were on set at the same time. I could see you working yeah. with two and the other five are just sitting there with smoking cigarettes on a bench on the side. Just, Their writer, uh, <laughs> you know, was intense. <laughs> Bananas, cigarettes, right. scotch. <laughs> Just like us here. Right? How do three, you right? sit them down and prep them for the scene? I mean, what do you tell them? <laughs> um, you listen to the trainer and you, the trainer mm -hmm. says, this is what they can do, what they can't do. This is how much time you're going to have with them. Um, now, did the trainer sh basically mimic what they were going to be doing and they imitate it? How did you... I mean, they're doing things. Obviously, they're going to be doing what they want. You can hopefully catch them because stuff. But were you able to actually direct some of these chimps to do specific you things? You direct the trainer to direct the chimp, yes. Can, what do you want the chimp to do? Well, I'd like the chimp to do this, 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 this. All right, well, the chimp can do that, can't do this, can do that, can't do this. Well, if he can't do this, could he do this? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's... Did at any point this time worked out the, on set? This has worked out on oh, set, yeah. or do you did it beforehand? Like, um, you have a if you're smart, and stuff you're like getting on a phone call beforehand. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you haven't 
done this before, you show up and are disappointed. Right. Um, and I, I don't, I don't remember where this falls okay. in my timeline. And then, did, did at any point when the, the trainer was saying, you know, the chimp can do this, chimp can't do that, did any point that it, did the trainer say, chimp can't do that? And all of a sudden you heard the chimp go, yes, I can. <laughs> um, the chimp no, I would often look up at the trainer. So what the hell? Of course I can do that. <laughs> and, uh, so you took, this was several shots, and, and then Blaine had to remain as fixed a person as possible, or he used to one shot of him and- I would imagine he, he, was, he, was, he was an element yeah. in the- you just, In one photo. That's exactly right. Yeah, okay. yeah. And once you understand that, you start to internalize the idea that if you have your act together, you don't have to impose on your talent's mm -hmm. time, mm -hmm. because you know what his or her performance piece needs to be. How much of, of your work then would you say- uh, pulls it pulls theory and pulls practice from filmmaking, from cinema and production, compared to what we would call photography. Um, I think the idea of trying to tell a story um, in one frame, as opposed to ninety or one hundred and twenty minutes. <laughs> um, and I would love my imagery to be cinematic for you to, you know, a, a enjoy a double page spread or a billboard. Um, but it's about storytelling on an aesthetic level. Um, but going back uh, to the, the problem-solving idea, we are approaching every shoot on two parallel tracks, the aesthetic track and the logistical track, and how these things interact, cross over, limit each other. Um, that's a good point. That's, that's You know, chicken and egg. Yeah. Cart and horse. Mm -hmm. I say cart and horse on almost every single shoot. You know, what is our end goal here and how are we best mm -hmm. able to achieve it? Mm -hmm. What do we want to do, what we can do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, given yeah, the yeah. time, given the money, yeah, given yeah. the light. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that the, in the sense of production, in you know, how you how you handle, you know, the 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 time of your stars and the production and the team and how you get everything set up for that one moment where the star's there, then you get rid of them and you got to do everything else. So that, that idea of the, the production end of it as well. I don't know if you saw recently, we photographed Steven Spielberg for Empire Magazine. Mm -hmm. And Empire Magazine does not have a lot of money. Steven Spielberg does not have a lot of time. It is a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's fantastic. <laughs> um, so, and let's then add... Those are now logistical considerations. Let's add the, um, the, the, uh, the aesthetic kind of overlay, which is it's Steven Spielberg. Not only have I photographed him more than I have photographed any other well-known person, just completely coincidentally, but the story is about the body of his work. How do you illustrate the incredible breadth mm -hmm. of his career on a budget um on yeah no budget mm. so i came up with this idea of um of movie posters you know and what would that what would that look like how long did you have to think about it uh in this case i'd say a week and a half okay so i got my set designer on the phone and i said every single one of his movie posters mm. um and the set designer for this shoot was Anthony Altamar. And he said, oh my God, I love it. How are we going to do it? I said, okay, how big is a movie poster? How big does the wall need to be? How many movie posters do we need? 
Um, and he said, I'll go online. And he printed these in strips mm-hmm. based on an arranged design by the creative director. Then I had seen a picture in my recent memory of those beautiful barn lamps that are on the outside of barns. And I said, that's what we need. I want it to look like the light is coming from this wall. And we walked onto a soundstage at Universal at six in the morning because we were getting Spielberg at 1130. And we walked into this soundstage and the voice had just been on this soundstage and the floor was painted black. And I had my heart set on soundstage gray. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, God, bless it. And then I went, wait a minute. That actually might be fantastic. But m- my point is that that is one of... You're talking because of the reflective qualities yes, of it. That's yeah. one of one, two, three, four, five, six setups we did with Steven Spielberg in 45 minutes. Those are all done in the same, wow. That's wow. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Now, how many how many sets did you have? So you, could, you didn't just break down the lights and set up, say, wait, Mr. Spielberg, have a coffee, we'll be with you. I mean, no. he walked from one to the next. That's correct? exactly right. Yeah. And the way you do that on a budget is you have the lights in place because lights are less expensive to rent than a pro photo 8A or 10. And you move the packs. Right. So you get there. And I want my clients to get as much bang for their buck as they can. So, and I would say I'm an overachiever and, oh my God, I want to do this shot. I want to do that shot. I want to do this shot. I want to do that shot. And I can't help myself. And then Elaine will say to me, we're not going to do all six. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do all six. So do we have the resources? Put the lights in place, choreograph the whole thing. That pack comes over here. There's a piece of tape on the ground that says, when this pack lands here, plug it in, set it to 5-2, and let's go. And the Steven Spielbergs of the world appreciate that you're moving quickly. Um, He could literally walk through Absolutely. And And let's not forget, when we shot film, 20 frames, 36 frames, 72 frames, and shooting three or four rolls of film was an indulgence. Yeah, sure. 20, 40, 60, 80 frames. So why do I have to sit there with my digital camera and through a thousand frames? Um, So getting as much as I can in as little time. And the thing is, a lot of filmmakers and a lot of actors and actresses come from a scrappy place as well you know, um, and the captains of industry and the people I'm photographing who don't, that aren't in a, you know, have a creative background, they don't have any time. So they appreciate that we're moving very quickly as well. When do you say, okay, what I want to do is not going to fit this budget and this time. And I I don't want to shrink it down. I'm going to pass. Does that uh, happen or is that always dependent on a million Um, I don't take a fee. Okay. I ask my vendors for favors. Mm -hmm. I try to funnel the money where the money needs to go because um, a lot of editorial outlets just don't have the, I won't say unlimited, but the resources they used to have. Um, Day rates haven't gone up in I don't know how how many decades. That's exactly right. 
you know. That uh, is exactly right. I mean, I used to shoot was like 500 a day, 600 a day. And mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are doing a lot less than that right now. That is exactly 20, right. 20, 30 years. That is exactly right. But to me, the editorial outlet is still incredibly important, vibrant, powerful. You get to play more in editorial because of the fact they don't have a budget. Therefore, part of the paycheck is I'm going to play. I'm going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I may not be walking with a lot of money, but I'm going to have fun doing this. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that resourcefulness, creativity, and under-the-gun workflow is now seeping in to my advertising work mm -hmm. and my entertainment work. Because you brought up Kentucky Fried Chicken. Wyden and Kennedy is coming up with this amazing creative for KFC. They're coming up with three different kernels a year, mm -hmm. and they, they bring out a different kernel to emphasize a, and enhance a new product. So we just did Reba McIntyre mm -hmm. as the colonel, and we had a half an hour with Reba because on the next stage over, they're shooting a million-dollar television commercial. The stills get short shrift. Sure. So we marched Reba through six different setups in a half an hour. Well... 31 minutes we looked. Mm -hmm. And the folks from Wyden and Kennedy were um, astounded and amazed and, oh my God, this will never work, oh my God. And then it happened because Reba's a pro. Mm -hmm. My team knew what they were doing. She's dressed as the colonel, so hair, makeup, and wardrobe has been sucked out of the equation. Mm -hmm. right, right, right. And I was counting on her being a pro, her appreciating me moving her from set to set, and the fact that we didn't have to tweak hair, makeup, and wardrobe, and it worked. And 31 minutes later, Reba is saying, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And the folks from Wine and Kennedy are saying, oh my God, I, I can't believe that that happened. Yeah. We had literally been on the exact same soundstage with Steven Spielberg two weeks earlier, walking him through Obviously, you need a you need, a good, you need a good minutes. final you need a good final product. I mean, you need a yes. good image at the end. But how much of this ability to work fast, work efficient, problem solve, work with the situation around you is is the reason that you get calls back from the advertising company or the editorial house? I didn't appreciate it until I'd have to look how long ago this was. I got a call from Vanity Fair, and it was um, it's a group shot of environmentalists. Uh, at the edge of Lake Tahoe. And the call came and said, um, nobody else can do this. And we've already been turned down by one photographer. And I went, okay. The answer is yes. Um, it's, I'd have to look, the end of November? And they wanted to go to a great outdoor location. There was a freak snowstorm throughout the United States. Where can we go? Where can we fly all these environmentalists into and not make it be two flights? Or minimize the number of connections? Reno, Tahoe. Okay, has it snowed there? Yes. Is it going to snow there? Maybe not. Problem solving. You know, so I think that was the first time where somebody, a client said, you're a firefighter. You're a problem solver. Nobody else can do this. Um, 
And that is, I, I think I internalized it then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, I just want to mention, I love, was that one of the original... Um, Buoys, or what do you call them, from Jaws that he's leaning against in that photo, which or he's that... which he is madly in love with, because yeah. that yeah. if if you watch the Spielberg documentary on HBO, problem solving, mm. the mechanical shark shark <laughs> broke. Right, I remember hearing about that, yeah. and he had to say shark without saying shark. So he, the buoys became this. Terrifying oh, stand-in for yeah. the shark. That's a really He's been problem solving yeah. since whatever Jaws is 1974, yeah. 76. Yeah. 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 It's all a lot of insinuation in that movie. Yes. A lot of hinting yes. and suggesting yes. not anything happening. Yes. Yeah. Well, you don't see And the you're at the until, end yeah. at, at the edge of your seat, and all it is is one chord of music. <laughs> That's right. Or that <laughs> or the or the popping up out of the water. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um can we talk about some of the, uh, you, you call them conceptual shots or, or conceptual portraits uh, on your website? Yes. And uh, there's a, a whole bunch and they're a lot of fun. And uh, maybe we can just get some thoughts from you on the one that were the 80s uh, high school yearbook series of, uh, of certain actors and comedians, which I, I noticed is quite funny. Any, how'd that come about? Was that uh, your idea? Was that uh, from, brought to you? Um GQ came to me with this idea that these comedic auteurs who are individuals telling their own stories on network and cable and Netflix from Issa Rae um, to uh, I'm going to remember none of the rest of them. <laughs> Maybe the names of their shows <laughs> are telling their own stories. And they said, it's, you know, it's, it's a class photo. Okay. And we went, oh, class photo. Okay. Um, and then we just kind of dove into 80s, right. awful right. hair, hair, clothes, and the whole thing. Right. A lot of picture research. I do a lot of picture research. Mm -hmm. I have a library mm -hmm. of bad you know, photocopies mm -hmm. of picture research. And this goes back to your childhood with the magazines and all the stuff that you soaked up over the years. I mean, just knowing... And doing your homework. Of, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. and the, the picture notebooks are filled with imagery largely from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Mm. I try to not have, although it does creep in, recent stuff, you know. Um, Any lighting masters or photography masters from that era that... Uh, that you look to as a, as a reference, any pen Avedon. Okay. Simple, mm -hmm. easy, beautiful, you know, letting the subject and the subject matter do a lot of the work, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, it's not until really the eighties, I think that the light started to do some of the work, mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, Guy Bourdain gets out a ring light and mm -hmm. all of a sudden the light does work for Ouija where we now associate on-camera flash with a certain idea, paparazzi, a caught moment, urgency, you know, whereas when you're bathing subjects in Avedon's light, in Irving Penn's light, it's more um, painterly, you know, it's more luxurious. Mm -hmm. It's slower, you know, um, it's less of a caught, moment. It's lush. 
It's exactly right. It's lush. And what is the right light for the shot? Is it hard? Is it soft? Is it frontal? Is it toppy? Is it sidey? What feels right? And um, I think there's a really good example that all of you at home are not going to be able to see, <laughs> uh, which I will... Uh, George Harrell, that was the name I was thinking of. There you go, That's George the, Harrell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his light, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and Matthew Ralston's light, you know, conveyed, you know, a different sensibility. Mm-hmm. Let me see if Brie Larson, are you in here, Brie? Brie, 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 Brie. Brie. Yes, she is. Okay. So we are test driving the light and I get out the on-camera flash and I say to myself, mm, that just doesn't feel right. We just have to go with the window light. So we, mood board picture research, um, we went with the window light mm. because it was the right light yeah. for this picture. Sure. Um, at least I couldn't figure out how to make the on-camera flash be the right light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be on the camera, that's for sure. And, the, and the, yeah. the go with the monochrome was uh, a decision uh, made on the on the spot too, or that something that came um, with? I will push my clients into a black and white mm-hmm. world when I feel <laughs> it's appropriate. And not all of them are receptive for all kinds of different reasons. But what's great about digital is I'll have my tech process the files out in color and black and white and turn in mm-hmm. both versions in order to get them to at least see and appreciate the black and white version. I wanted to ask earlier, and, and this is the kind of the go-to question, um, what do you shoot with? What's your camera? Um, or 10, what is it normally? I like to say that back in the day, I knew photographers and I was kind of one of them who showed up on set with an RZ and a Hasselblad and a Leica and an Icon and a Roly and a Holga, and we just grab stuff off the cart. Mm-hmm. And we had Agva, Ilford, Fuji, and Kodak mm-hmm. to choose from. And now, honestly, Canon, Nikon, Leica, Hasselblad, Capture One, mm-hmm. Lightroom, Photoshop. We We had all of those resources kind of you know, taken away from us. Now, yes, Photoshop can be infinite, whereas Ilford, Agfa, Fuji, Kodak Paper really couldn't. Um, but file size, file integrity, um, the look of the file, Canon and Hasselblad, if you're listening, are taking our options away from us. You know, um, they really are. Could you... Build on that a little bit, and exactly what do you are um, referring to? So, my go-to back is the P30 Plus, and for the kids watching at home, that back is eight years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And what, about thirty megapixel, is it? Yeah, yeah, right. And unavailable now mm-hmm. because the camera manufacturers fell into the. Um, financial paradigm that the uh, television manufacturers fell into, which is if everybody has a flat screen 
we now have to get them to buy a 3D flat screen. Mm -hmm. And if everybody has a 3D flat screen, we have to get them to buy the 4K flat screen um, in order to generate sales. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I don't begrudge them that. But the P30 Plus was, for me, the last back that really felt like film, mm -hmm. you know? Um, well, you know, it's a funny thing you mentioned it because the same, a similar thing it, it goes on with Leica amongst many shooters. The M9, which was their second digital M camera and the first full frame, was a CCD, 18 megapixel. There are still photographers that want that because CCD gives a different color yes. spectrum than anything that's new. The newer cameras are faster, quicker, everything, but, but they don't take the same picture. <laughs> they don't. So it's the same thing you were referring to. And there. I just don't buy the argument that you can, you know, in post, dumb that file back down to, to look like an old CCD. You know, it's, you know, Ektachrome 64, Ektachrome 200, Ektachrome 400. They each had their own personalities, and that's why you chose it, depending on what's going on. Your film was part of, just like you chose your light modifiers, your film was part of your palette, was one of your it's tools. exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. To answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was a much better now answer. Now that it's Thursday afternoon, <laughs> uh, Tuesday afternoon, <laughs> I, I tend to do that. Um, that was a better answer. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Uh, 5D Mark IV uh -huh. and um, the H2345. Okay. You know, right. it's yeah. Canon or Hasselblad. Right. And yeah. people, you know, when do you use one or the other? They're tools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do I need the high sync speed? Do I need the motor? Mm -hmm. What kind of format what do format, I need? Bigger size, what sure. kind of fall sure. off do you want? That might mean you have to go to a larger format or a smaller format. Don't get me started. That yeah. was the beauty of the RZ was that the backgrounds just fell away so beautifully. And do you feel the same way about lens choices in terms of whatever, whatever fits the right job? The lens tells yeah. the story as well. Yeah. You know, flat portrait lens, push in wide, you know, get weird. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Speaking of getting weird, uh, <laughs> Paul Rudd as Dr. Frankenstein, uh, how'd that come about? <laughs> wow, you are pulling them out of the <laughs> proverbial, uh, proverbial <laughs> archive. Um, Is that the word I was going to use? <laughs> no, you're pulling them. And, and I have a really short memory mm -hmm. uh, for that kind of thing. But um, Vanity Fair used to do these incredible filmic recreations. Yeah. Um, and in those days, Vanity Fair came to me with, we really want to photograph, you know, Paul Rudd um, as Dr. Frankenstein. Oh, they can't do it. Um, we really want to photograph Seth Rogen as Cary Grant. That photo gets a lot of attention, that Seth Rogen one. I don't know if you, It's legit. If, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That, bi that biplane is there. Yeah. It's That's flying incredible. at his head. Oh, wow. That is legit. Mm -hmm. So, Paul Rudd, um, okay, how are we going to... One variable is off the table. The aesthetic variable is off right. the table. And I took those recreations seriously, like one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. You know, so now it's pure problem-solving because the, the aesthetic is off the table, mm -hmm. um, which I think also informed my, okay, what lens did they use? If you're doing, as I did, Strangers on a Train, you know, we put up all the soft boxes and we looked at it on the screen and it just didn't look right. And then I said, oh, 
Hitchcock didn't have chimeras. <laughs> <laughs> he had Fresnels. Right. You know, so this gets put me. all the stop bo- uh, stop boxes away. Get out the Profoto Fresnels. And this is something you looked at mm. in, in case of this on um, your tethered, and you're looking at it on the screen, and you decided yes, at that point okay. during the pre-light. Yeah. Um, what is my lens? You know, to compress or not compress. Um, how do you tell that? How do you tell that? How do you recreate that story with as much integrity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as possible? Mm-hmm. Well done, though. And get sure. yeah. Paul Rudd on board. Yeah, was that hard? It seems like he's no. pretty flexible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's a great subject. Yeah, great yeah. collaborator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do most people are most people agreeable to your direction and stuff like that? Uh, again, you're dealing with, in many cases, actors, performers, people who have their own idea what should be going on, their own egos, whatever. Are most people pretty pliable? They walk in and and, rec- and acknowledge you and recognize you as an equal professional with a job to do, and they go along with it, or do they try to, to or is fighting happening more than, oh, you know the deal. There are three answers to that question. I'm <laughs> okay. really trying to keep it brief. How do you convey to your subjects that you are a professional with their best interests in mind. Establish that up front, yeah. Exactly. So treat um, celebrities like real people. Treat real people like celebrities. Yes. Um, If you make the mistake of fawning over your celebrity subject, you are like every other fan slash person they have encountered that day and will encounter when they leave. They're looking for direction. They're looking for a director who has the courage of his or her convictions and has a vision. And nine times out of 10, your actor and actress subjects are um, unsure of and insecure about how to perform or how to be in front of a still camera. They do not in front of a still camera, they do not have a character to inhabit. They don't have lines to execute. They don't have blocking to execute. They don't have an emotional palette to choose from. And I cannot tell you how many actors and actresses have said, what do you want me to do? Tell me what you want me to do. I'll do anything you want me to do. Um, That's number one. Number two is when they are acting, their audience has cognitive dissonance with their performance. They're not staring at their face, at their body. They're not lingering the way they do on a still image. They are forgiving or not noticing the flaws and imperfections, perceived or real, Mm -hmm. because there's dialogue, there's sound, there's action, there's music, something's happening. When an actor or an actress walks onto a still set, then all kinds of safeguards and tensions arise because that thing is going to live on the cover, inside the magazine, on the web, forever and ever and ever. So you have to really appreciate where they are coming from. Answer number three, most of the time, they are willing collaborators. But I photographed an actor this week who I asked to just turn 
to turn their body slightly. And they said, I don't want to. I said, okay. Now, in that moment, in a group photo, I didn't, yeah, I just let it happen because I didn't have time to explain why it's actually physically better for them to be photographed three quarters than it is to be photographed head on. I was given a huge gift from my best friend from college who went to USC film school, is now a video producer in Los Angeles, who visited one of my sets years ago and said to me, oh, you're a director. I said, no, 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 I'm a photographer. I'm a photojournalist. I'm a... Because I came from photojournalism and I came from don't touch anything, don't manipulate, don't breathe, wear black and hide in the corner. <laughs> um, don't be there, you know. Um, you know, Notchway isn't there. You know, he's a ghost. Um, Salgado is not there. He's a phantom. And I remember the first time I moved a chair to the window and thought I was breaking every single rule of photography. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when Adam Grossman gave me that gift, I went, oh, oh crap, right. I'm directing these people. I'm trying to elicit Mm-hmm. a performance mm-hmm. from You're these people. You're the adult in the room. I'm the adult in the room. Mm-hmm. I have to encourage them. I have to enable them. You're I have a shepherd. To... Oh my God, all of those on <laughs> yes. Analogy Friday. I'm a roller. You're crushing it. <laughs> it's all true. That is all true. <laughs> all right, it was, it's, it's, it was terrific having you here today. Uh, you are absolutely a pro. Uh, your stories are great. And, Let's call this uh, part one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, thank you're you so on. Much. You're on. Thank you so much. And That'd listen, you know, uh, yeah, we want to talk about the Oscars. We didn't even get to that. We didn't even touch on that. That's stuff. part two. We yeah. have to come clean, by the way, Art. Okay, we had a motive here today. There was an ulterior motive. Okay, your grandfather channeled us. He wanted to get one more shot to try to discourage you from this hobby that's getting a little bit out of hand. But you know what? <laughs> we took a little poll here, and we think that you're going to be fine. We think Aww. you have a good future in the business. Thank you. Keep at it. <laughs> Don't let them beat you down, okay? Trust us. Trust us. I'm going to stick with it. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> before we uh, uh, turn the lights off here, what do you have coming up here? Shows, uh, seminars, things of that sort. Where are you going to be appearing, signing autographs? Um, <laughs> in October at Photo Plus, I will be um, uh, moderating a panel of magazine photography editors, which um, I've done in the past, and... Two years later, three years later, it's even more important to hear from these people and hear what they're up against. The bold game is evolving rapidly. Understanding yeah. what your clients are up against mm-hmm. is huge. Um, and listening to how they pick and choose photographers, what their budgets are like, what kind of pressures they're under. Incredibly, I cannot emphasize enough how important that panel is. Um, that's what's that's what's coming up. Okay. Uh, Artsdriver.com. Right. And also your Instagram, which, uh, AS pictures is great because there's some wonderful behind the scenes stuff and yeah, kind of process yeah, shots, yeah. which I, I've, I just soaked those up. Those are great. Yeah. Which is Absolutely. great. Of you, it's great of you to do, you know, I mean, not a lot of people. It's my pleasure. And, um, you know, one of the thousand topics we didn't really get to talk about, um, was, you know, I get asked quite often, you know, how is it that you, why do you share what you share and 
give away what you give away. And I, I tell people that that is just one tiny piece of the pre-production, production, post-production post process mm -hmm. that every shoot has to go through. Um, showing pictures of me at my desk doing picture research yeah. is a snooze fest. Mm -hmm. But, you know, seeing, you know, how the light and the composition and the shoot came together. The creative I, process. Is, thank you, is helpful, yeah. you know, on mm -hmm. some level. Certainly. Okay. All right. Absolute pleasure. If you are not a subscriber to our show, I will not shame you, but I do urge you to head over to Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, and sign up for instant access to all of our upcoming shows and access to over 100 past episodes. It's free, it's easy, and it's the best darn photo podcast on the planet. That said, on behalf of Art Stryber, Jason, John, and myself, as always, thank you so much for tuning in today. Bada bum. <laughs> <laughs>